bel come tu, Wiggly Neurosis. Beer of the Week is two women from New Glarus Brewery in New Glarus, Wisconsin, where my mother now resides. She does. So yeah, this here beer obviously fits in with our theme because it's called Two Women. And uh, just a little bit of a background here. I'm reading this off of BeerAdvocate.com. The collaboration of two craft companies, both led by women, New Glarus Brewing Company and Weyerman Malting, is unique. You hold the result, Two Women, a classic Country lager brewed with Weyermann's floor malted Bohemian malt and Hallertau Mittelfrüh hops, attempting a graceful classic lager found only in Wisconsin, because yes, indeed, New Glarus beer is only distributed in Wisconsin. Yes. Yeah. So it's a lager. It's actually one of my favorite. You can pop This is back to back lagers for us. Yeah, and this is delicious. This is a this is a lot different from the one we had last week. This also comes in at five percent alcohol by volume though, but it's just a delicious multi amazing easy drinking lager and it's delicious it's good darker much much darker color yeah from last week well because that beer was made with corn so and this is made with these here bohemian malts and uh malts are what's up yeah and it's a great beer uh if you're from wisconsin and you like beer you've probably had this before yeah because nuclearis is sort of a staple of the state and you can get it on the the black market too if you want to go that route, if you're not in Wisconsin, you're not in Wisconsin. don't do. If you're in Wisconsin, just go to the store and buy it. Just go to the store. It's fairly, and on top of that, fairly affordable. It's not like a lot of these craft beers that cost. Yeah, this six pack was seven ninety nine. Yeah, so it's very extremely reasonable. But it's a great beer. Two women fits our theme this week of duo, and I think the movie all obviously fits in because it's called Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, and it's sort of about a duo of duos, if you will, right? Yeah, and they're a duo sales team. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and then there's the there the two dates they get who's a duo and then there's on on the other side there's the the, the couple that's getting married yep that's, that's also a duo, a duo. as well, and we'll so there's just, du- there's just duos duos everywhere. all over the place duh yeah. duh duh so what is wait a minute what does duo mean that's it that's what we should do definition of the word 
It is a pair of people or things, especially in music or entertainment. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. And the other number two is one of my favorite things in music, a duet. Mm-hmm. I love duets. That's great. Who doesn't love duets? People who are solo. People who are like, enough of this duet business. <laughs> I'm going solo. <laughs> I'm going solo. So Simon and Garfunkel post breakup. Yeah. Hate duos. Ugh. They mm-hmm. do. They'll squeak in the background. <laughs> what the heck was that? I don't even know. <laughs> but um, but that's our, our definition. What does duo mean to you? Yeah, well, you know, just a pair of individuals working together, right? So I kind of wrote a long thing here. Two people or things that fit with one another and join forces for one common goal, right? It's not really a textbook definition. That's just kind of what I think of. And I think of when a duo, there's obviously cooperation going on. Two people who have to sort of deal with each other's maybe disagreements and overcome differences they have. And then you get a duo, hopefully a successful duo. Right. Duo. Duo. D-U-O. Duo. Duo. So what does duo mean to you? Well, it's a, again, it's a simple word. It's a very, and I think it has a simple definition for a good reason, but yet I, I think duos are very complex because you on your own, it's very easy to be on your own for people that are comfortable with that. Some people need another other people around, but I think a duo is a little bit a little bit harder to do you know in terms when you think of singing a duet a duet is very difficult because mm-hmm. you have to pair your pitch and tone and a whole bunch of stuff with each other and a duo like our podcast is a duo mm, it's true two random people couldn't just sit in a room and make a podcast yeah, they could try they could try <laughs> and they would fail no, Jeez, <laughs> they wouldn't they might be good but no and it's it's tough it's it's an interesting thing mm-hmm and I think, of course, of the Spice Girls song, Two Become One, which I had to listen to on, like, repeat. One summer when I was young, scars, that's all I'm going to say. There's a lot of songs about two people coming together. Lots of love songs. Lots of love. Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> right? Yeah. Here we go. I think Barry White's got a few of those kicking around. Barry White? Yeah. Barry Manilow as well. Barry Manilow. Actually, Barry Manilow is much more impressive than Barry White. Barry White did not have really that many songs. Mm, Shots fired at Barry White. R.I.P., homie. (laughs) I think Barry Manilow is still kicking it somewhere. Somewheres. (laughs) Out in the desert. Whoa, okay. That's weird. Why is he in the desert? I think he's in Las Vegas because I think he does like shows out there. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I. He seems like a Vegas dude. Yeah, 100%. But on to our, our high-priority news items um, of, once again, Game of Thrones. It's getting all the headlines these days. Uh, well, not all of them, but... Here they are. Here, yeah, in, the, in this show. But um, a lot of fans are now asking the question, um, should they read the books? And it's a big thing. Should you read the books in order so you can kind of get a step ahead or understand the show better? And you can't get a step ahead of Game of Thrones, though. You can't, right. Because the la- the book, even the last season, was largely based on isn't it even out yet, and f- isn't it true that it's v- v- almost completely nothing like the books at this point anyway? At this point, yeah. So you're kind of getting like a almost like a duality hmm. on the duo episode, Whoa. but um, but that's that's kind of my thought on it because it's there's so much stuff at least from what I've read and understand that is kind of pushed aside. Mm-hmm. in the book series but yet portrayed in the the t- television series and i'm sure there's lots of major things in the books that are not in the series at all yeah 
hundred mm-hmm. percent. So I, I don't see any re- and these are on top of that, folks. This is a these are big, long books. Yeah, like they're, these are caverns. They're they're generally close to a thousand pages per book. Yeah, and they've gone up in size, mm-hmm. which is an uncommon for fantasy, because if you think Harry Potter, that was the same deal. Those got longer and longer as they went on. Uh, the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan, and not that's not uh, that's not a law with that series because they got longer and some of them were shorter, but those were always close to a thousand pages, if not over a thousand pages as well. Crazy. But yeah, I like the question. Do you you hear over in here? Do you feel it's the duty of a fan to read the books? And I think that goes for any series that's based on a novel or or whatever you can ask that question and i I don't think it's it's a rule right because i I, think if a move if if an adaptation is good enough you you really shouldn't have any reason to feel obligated to read the books and especially since the mediums of film and written literature they're so different that you have to make compromises when you adapt one because it's just a different format it is well because it's it's like you said, written word and film, and we I think we've talked about this on a previous episode, but when you do film, you have to cram stuff in mm-hmm. to this little time slot. And we talked about that. A good example is Batman versus Superman. You saw the director's cut. Sure. Was somewhat better, mm-hmm. right, because it was longer. And the reality is you can't do that with film because no one really wants to watch a four-hour film. Oh, I do. But we do. <laughs> You know, but I we're, know you we're in Absolutely. that rare mm-hmm. population of people that enjoy that. So you need to adapt. And what adapting is from book to film is cutting a lot of the stuff out. Well, because I think the general rule of thumb is one page of a book translates to roughly a minute. And and, that, and that's different per author, per author, per writing style, whatever. And an example I like to use is Stephen King. Um, because obviously tons of his books have been adapted, some better than others. Um, some of his best ones, uh, The Shining being a great example. The movie is really nothing like the book at all. If you've ever read the book, you know that it's nothing like the, the, the first adaptation with Jack Nicholson. But he's a writer who his style in particular is difficult to adapt because so much of it takes place in the mind of the characters. And there's really no way to portray that. Yeah. Uh, like the, the how, how do you I, there's I don't think there's any way to do that right so and that's just one example but yeah it, it, the, the mediums are just totally different so you have to make compromises and my rule of thumb with an adaptation is if it captures the essence of the book I'm happy with it as long as it doesn't change the themes and messages too much I'm cool with it as long as the movie was well made on its own merits I think that's fine and also if you've you shouldn't feel obligated to read a book if you like the series, or you shouldn't feel obligated to see the series if you like the books. But if you like that world enough, if you feel like learning as much about it as possible, go for it. Yeah. And I think if you're if you're just a fan of the TV series, which I am, and I have not read the books. And Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones. Yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever read the books, to be mm. honest with you, because it's just too in-depth, too long. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a major commitment. Mm-hmm. So don't feel bad. I don't. Either one. Either way, if you've read the books and you don't like the TV series, I'm cool with that. I do like to read, for the record. I've read Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all the the major, very famous ones that have been adapted. I've read the books for them as well. And I and I and with Harry Potter, I definitely, if you've only seen the movies, those are short reads. Even the longer books, they look big and thick and scary, but they're really pretty easy to read. So that's kind of a tangent yeah. there. And then we got Twilight. 
which of course Twilight. The, the thick literature written by Stephanie Mayer. She's really, a, she's a masterful writer. Really translated in a Shakespearean way to the screen, silver screen. There's a lot of material to chew through to really get to the essence of Twilight. That's true. Yeah. It's it's so deep. You gotta you gotta watch the movies and read the books. That's true. And then purchase every book mm-hmm. at market market price. You cannot purchase. Use, yeah, if you're at a store on Amazon, if you go to a store and they have a Twilight book on sale, you tell that cashier, "No, sir or ma'am, I will not be paying sales price. You will be taking the cover price for this here hardcover <laughs> novel." Of this 10-year-old book. I will be on my uh, way, sir. <laughs> how did that happen? Twilight. It did. I've read but... some of the books of those. I've seen all the movies. I, read... I've s- I think I've seen Porsche. I've never seen a full... Twilight movie? Length Twilight movie. You're missing out, man. Don't you want to see what happens? Not really. <laughs> Not to be honest. <laughs> like, I feel like I can miss that. Okay, I was just kind of joking around. <laughs> No, no Twilight and whatever. It's fine if you it like. It is what it is, and that's another thing. I'm not going to knock you for being a Twilight fan. It's like I, it's it's an do easy, what you do. I'm being a jerk because it's an easy target. But honestly, yeah, exactly. It's it's a, it's a the it's written and adapted for exactly its target audience, and it was popular for a reason. It's easy to digest and it's perfectly entertaining. I've seen way worse movies and I've read way worse books than those. I think they get a, a lot of unfair hatred. Yeah, but either way, adaptations. We should, that would be a fun episode adaptation. Where we talk about like the movie adaptation, or we talk about specifically an adaptation of a novel. That might take some time because I would have to read the book. Ooh. And it's, I read it like a twenty-page per day. We can pick a re- pace. We can do like Carrie, Stephen King's Carrie. It's a really short book. That's true. It's a good movie too. Or we could do like Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, if you've seen the movie, the recent movie of Goosebumps, you have to read like all the books to get the reference. That's true. Yeah. They're like. They're like seven pages long. Yeah. Okay, well, you know. They're they're basically my Dude, I read novel, those but... like a fiend when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, because they were so easy to read. They were you the just, best. You just like bang, 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 And they bang, always bang. had terrible, like terrifying twist endings. Yeah. And nothing ever went well for the people. No. It was great. It was great. So, yeah. So that's our intro section. And, of course, um, in the break, you're going to hear the trailer for our movie of the week, which I have to make sure I get the names right. I know. I keep saying Matt instead of Mike. Matt and Dave. Mike and Dave. Yeah. Need wedding dates. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear the audio from that trailer, which I don't even know what it's going to It's going to be a lot of like fart noises and Adam. Is it Divine or Devine? I think it's Devine. It's going to be a lot of him making funny sounds. And then dubstep. And then dubstep music. And then sounds of people doing shots. Yep. Cause that's what does what a shot sound like? Doing right now. <laughs> you know what it actually sounds like? A tree falling in the forest. That's weird. That would be terrifying. I would never go to a bar if that's what shots sounded like. It would just sound like trees falling for hours. Uh, all right. Again, audio for the trailer of the movie of the week. Mike and Dave need wedding dates in the break. Weekly Neurosis. We will be right back. Mom and Dad, what's going on here? Over the years at our family gathering, you two show up and you ruin it. 
I want you to bring a date to your sister's wedding. We don't want you showing up stag and riling each other up. We don't rile each other up. We never get riled up. We'll shape up for you, Jeannie. <laughs> we gotta find the right girls for this. Where do we even go? What? We're about to do something awesome. I'm here with Mike and Dave Stengel. They are looking for dates for their sister's wedding in Hawaii. Let's make these. The guys. sound of silence. No, I'm just Welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. I'm Nick. I'm Ethan. This is the duo episode. Then now it's time for our movie of the week. And this week, the movie is Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. The plot is that two hard partying brothers place an online ad to find the perfect dates for their sister's Hawaiian wedding. Hoping for a wild getaway, the boys instead find themselves out hustled by the uncontrollable duo of women. Of course. Mm-hmm. The cast is Zach Efron, Adam Devine, Devine, uh, and Anna Kendrick, Aubrey Plaza, Ste- Stephen Root, Stephen. S- Stephen Root, and Stephanie. France. The crew is directed by Jake Sizemansky. That's pretty good. This is his uh, first feature in a theatrical film. First full-length feature. (laughs) Is that what that means? This is his first feature-length theatrical film. Film. And it was written by uh, Adam J. Conan and Brenton O'Brien. Sorry. Take a deep breath. (laughs) The film location, the film was uh, entirely in Hawaii, a film entirely in Hawaii on the island of Oahu. On the on the island, most of the film was done on the North Shore and at Turtle Bay Resort and also in the famous Kualoa Ranch. <laughs> the film was loosely based on the real-life brothers Mike and Dave Strangle, who posted a, a Craigslist ad looking for dates for their cousin's wedding. Unlike the film, the wedding was actually in New York instead of Hawaii. A book about the events was written by the brothers, really. Mm-hmm. It's called, like, uh, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, colon, A Story of a Thousand Cocktails or something. Yeah. It seems pretty, pretty lame. Pretty, yeah, it's a pretty interesting title. But, Ethan, what did you think of this film? All right, so I thought it was pretty funny. Um this is just one of those movies, right? And it was sort of exactly what I expected. Just kind of a lot of lowbrow screwball comedy, lots of physical gags. Very, very R-rated. Um, and for the most part, it, it was pretty funny consistently. I would say for me, like 70 to 75% of the jokes hit home for me. And the rest of it wasn't like cringeworthy bad. It was just sort of, uh, you know, mildly entertaining the rest of the time. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's short. It was funny. I, I mean, I, I personally think Adam Devine or Devine, however you say his name, I'm just going to call him Adam D. I think he is hilarious. He's in the show Workaholics. I've heard some people say they think he's just the most annoying and they couldn't sit through this movie because of him. So I guess if you don't like him, you're, you're probably going to hate this. And same with Aubrey Plaza yeah. because the four main characters in this movie are all basically cartoon characters. They're all just ridiculous people. And it's super over the top. It never takes itself that seriously. And I was sort of prepared for that. So I I thought it was very entertaining, very funny. Although, I mean, it's super predictable, right? There's really nothing in this. I mean, I knew exactly what was going to happen two days before I saw the movie. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I was expecting that too. So I had fun with it. I thought it was funny. But I I guess I can can see how the the really lowbrow humor could be grating for some people. That's true. And... 
My when I went into the film, I was already prepared not to take the film too seriously, but I, I thought the timing of the the humor in the film was pretty spot on. In spots, other times it was a little bit off, but yeah, Audrey Plaza and Adam D, as we're calling him, that's better. Yeah. But um, they they're both kind of characters that you already kind of know how they're gonna be in almost this cartoon sense. Um, mm-hmm. Adam D from obviously Workaholics and Audrey Plaza from Parks and Rec. Yes. She kind of has. And she's been, she's done stand up and a ton of other movies too. She's very funny. Yeah. And I you know I thought she, they they both were hilarious and in their own way. I thought the girls were a little better acting wise than the guys in this film. Yeah, I think those two. I'm glad they paired. Adam D and Aubrey Plaza up together because they were sort of the bigger personalities of the of the two duos in the movie, and they were definitely like uh, uh, Zac Efron and Adam Devine, who are brothers in it. Who actually, I actually kind of bought it them as brothers. That yeah, I, they actually do kind yeah. of look similar. Obviously, Adam Devine is sort of silly and goofy, but uh, he pl- he plays that off and he does it really well. But uh, Audrey Plaza was more over the top and crazy and i think of all of the four leads i think she was maybe the one who i liked the least just because i thought maybe it was only in the first like 20 or so minutes where she kept kind of using the same delivery of her jokes and i was like is she gonna be doing this the whole movie but they do and they change it up enough throughout the movie and it focuses on all four leads differently enough that it was never it was always funny to me for the most part yeah and i think her character they or she had like that like you said delivery and kind of this accent that she was pulling like a gang like she was trying to be like hardcore yeah and it was almost like maybe 20 or 30 minutes through the film you know and we don't know what the filming timeline was like but Mm -hmm. that somebody told her like hey knock this off Mm -hmm. because then she didn't do it and it was like oh yeah, because she kind of opened it up a little bit. She was, it was very forced. Yeah, she was like using her hands. Really she was like, forced. "We're gonna look respectable, yo." And I was yeah. like, "Okay, are you gonna be doing this the whole movie?" But yeah, so I think she was maybe my least favorite. But another thing I kind of give the movie props for was that the whole movie I was thinking, "Okay, all four of these people are terrible people." Yeah, like they're not relatable. They're not likable. They're jerks. They're self-centered. But the movie totally addresses that. So I respect that for them, sort of. <laughs> they literally are at one point in the movie are like we are our bad people we suck we suck yeah. and it's totally over the top and ridiculous but i'm so glad that not one of the four was taking it too seriously because if one of them was acting like the movie was more serious than it was it would have destroyed the whole chemistry of of the whole movie yeah i think anna kendricks is someone we haven't quite mentioned yet i thought she was overall pretty solid because yeah. she's pretty good at that like innocent character but she was like, still oh, more out of control she, here yeah and she still was but i thought she played a role pretty solidly oh, i thought she was hilarious yeah her and uh, adam d were my favorite i think yeah zach efron was good but he was kind of the fallback pretty boy and i thought like his his humor was based on like facial expressions which anytime you see that in a film you know that it's just a person's just sitting there with the camera focused on them making faces. Well, I think a, lo- like, a lot of it too was him reacting to Adam Devine's performance because he's yeah. so over the top and he's making ama- like ridiculous faces and noises and his reactions to everything over the top. And a lot of it is Zac Efron sort of responding to that. So I can I, I really can see how somebody would not find this funny at all. Because if you find any one of these four people irritating or their characters irritating... In, in a way that makes you not laugh, you're going to hate this movie probably. Yeah, that's true. And in terms of the story, I mean, yeah, they go, they need wedding dates, and then they go to Hawaii. It kind of felt like 
and one of the more recent Adam Sandler movies in that, especially after I read that this took place in real life in New York, but they moved it to Hawaii to make it more quote unquote exotic. And, um, it kind of just seemed like, yeah, let's put this budget together. So all these actors can take a couple of month vacation and occasionally, you know, film a movie yeah. between there. Yeah. That's and reading this now, that's, that kind of makes sense to kind of, yeah. you know, cause that's that's how they operate because hey yeah and if you, if you have the opportunity to work in Hawaii right but I it. thought it was cool though because I like I went to Hawaii last year and the Kualoa Ranch where they film a, a really funny scene where they're on ATVs um, we we actually visited there so it was kind of cool seeing it again so that's one of the reasons I wanted to see this just because I have that personal connection and it was kind of cool seeing that stuff but really this movie pretty much could have been set anywhere and it would have been basically the same I think yeah yeah. Because the story, it was, I mean, it was predictable. We, we, these really crazy people who have a reputation for ruining parties have to get dates and they pretend to be good. They go to Hawaii and get into all sorts of shenanigans. You can already see how this plays out. So it really relies on the humor being funny. And luckily for the most part, I thought it was very funny. There was only a couple gags that either went on for too long or, or weren't as funny as I think they were aiming for, for me personally. Right. And I thought the timing, though, was pretty solid. Which yeah. is big. That's a big thing in, huge in humor. But yeah. I agree with you. Anything you see in the film that can go wrong, probably going to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of how it operates. Yeah. And in that respect, like a lot of these type movies, it's a little frustrating because you're like, why are you doing this? You are so stupid. No normal person would do this. Yeah. But they, they that's the joke. I mean, that's sort of the joke they're going for. It's, yeah. n- it's nothing original or crazy, but... I don't know. Maybe it was the mood I was in, or what. I just thought it was very. I thought it was very funny consistently. And the movie's short, so I didn't feel like, man, this thing's got to end. I felt like by the time the movie, you could tell when the movie was getting close to being over, and I was like, seems appropriate to me. Yeah. No, I agree. So, what would you uh, rate this? Um, I was feeling again, feeling generous. I'm gonna give it a seven out of ten. I thought it was very funny. It's certainly not memorable it's 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 a movie that i'm probably gonna buy when it's like on sale or something in the next couple years because it's kind of the kind of movie where if you're in a bad mood and you're feeling down it's a good one to put on because it's just so goofy and it's not to be taken seriously and it's just kind of funny so i I liked it i'm gonna give it a seven how about you i'd give it a 7.5 nice based on and again i did i didn't take this film seriously Mm -hmm. so i took it it was very much you know you're here to entertain me uh, but I thought the the acting was pretty solid in terms of a comedic sense. You know, we're not talking about a major mm-hmm. like film release is going to win awards or anything. But no. Yeah, it was just a fun. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. You know, it's a fun film. This is one of those movies where I see how, I mean, it's got like a thirty something on Rotten Tomatoes, and I get it, I do. But then I read some of like the blurbs from the reviews, and it's like. Come on, like, what? Don't take this so seriously. No, and you, I, you, with a film like this, you absolutely can't. Yeah, it was, it was just trashy it, humor, and and that has a place. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked a lot about that, and yeah, I read a, like like critical reviews, and it's so serious, like, oh, this has this film has no worth, and if you're just there to have fun, I can't. I one one of them was like, I can't help but think that while this movie is largely harmless fun i can't help but feel like this trend of trashy comedies should end anytime soon i was just like what are you talking about come on just because you get paid just because you have to go see all of these movies doesn't mean you you can't 
kind of at least step outside of your own head and be like, I can see why people like this. Yeah. Because this is that kind of movie where part of me wants something as a mo- like a cinema lover wants something a little bit more highbrow, like the the nice guys, which I think is a much more intelligent uh, movie with a with a, a more interesting plot and something more to say. But that doesn't mean I can't watch something like this and say something like. I get it. It's just sort of escapist humor. Yeah, and it's it is. And what it'll it is. be it'll be interesting to kind of compare this and I don't know if this parlays into like news or anything, but to compare this to like Ghostbusters or the other films, because let's let's be honest, Ghostbusters is a comedic mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. It's it's not meant to be taken super seriously, right? And it'll be interesting just to see how that kind of compares to this film. Mm-hmm. So. So funny. If you're looking for, I think if you, if you see the trailer and it looks like something you'd like, go see it. Check it out. But if, I mean, you if if Adam Devine, Aubrey Plaza drives you nuts, their style of humor is just grating and irritating. Just don't watch it. Yeah. You know, we saw it. I, I saw it on Five Dollar Tuesday at the local theater, and I feel perfectly fine of having spent that. But if your if your theater costs like twenty bucks you know to see a to see a movie unless you're like the world's (laughs) biggest fan of any one of these actors or actresses i i wouldn't uh uh, maybe spend that money but it's like the to me it's like the perfect rental right it's like the perfect oh yeah sunday rainy sunday maybe watch it with your rental or a date movie yeah watch it with your date your spouse whoever you're with and uh kind of just laugh it's just breezy humor adult humor though it's very r-rated yeah (laughs) it's super raunchy (laughs) My, I mean, my wife saw it with me. She thought it was hilarious. So. Yeah. 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 My wife saw it with me as well. She she also thought it was very funny. She I think she even liked it more than me. But uh, it's just it, I mean it's it's just it's exactly it's it's a totally unpretentious, fun comedy movie, and I'm totally cool with that. I liked it. It was funny. It was fun. That's the key. And it was Hawaii, dude. Hawaii's beautiful. Brah. They're in weird trees. There's, there's fruit. Fruit. There's flower. Flower. Oh, there's flowers. <laughs> and then you, and then there's a tree a little bit to the left. Okay. What are we, Bob Ross now? There's a documentary about that. Now I don't want to see that. Who, Bob Ross? Yeah. He's the man. And it's about he's, his painting. Yeah. Well, that's what he did. Don't hate on Bob Ross. I'm not hating on Bob Ross. I said he's the man. Don't bring, don't bring that up in this studio. <laughs> okay. Sorry, man. I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> No, but on to our hyper news items. Tarantino to retire. Mm. Mm. Quentin. Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. Hashtag Greg. Uh, but the famous director claims he's going to make two more films, and then he's done after that. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are your thoughts on that? Um, He's certainly not the first director to have made a claim like this and very few of them have stuck to it but i I don't know i guess i i kind of believe it with him i've i personally feel like his last movie the hateful eight was a step back i feel like he's sort of treading the same waters he's been in for a while um so i i guess i unless he really does something special with his next movie i'm not sure i'm really gonna care that much if he retires because i i feel like i would rather watch somebody like him go out on top than keep making movie after movie that doesn't do well and that was just for me because i know a lot of people really loved hateful eight i just thought it was okay but um i don't know maybe with him i sort of believe him a little bit more especially knowing that it takes him so long to make his movies 
So we're talking two more movies. It's probably going to be another 10 years before that even happens. Right. Right. So I don't know. I, I think if he can sort of pull things together and make some two great movies, maybe get another just amazing film put out there. I mean, go for it. If he wants to retire, cool. I think a lot of his issues with the film industry are pretty apparent. He was really against a lot of the the trends with, you know, filming with uh, digital cameras versus on film, um, using a lot of CGI, uh, motion capture. He's really against a lot of that stuff, and that's really becoming very common. And I think it's probably frustrating for more of a grassroots film director like him, um, who's very much has both of his feet in an older style of filmmaking. So... I can kind of see him getting maybe overwhelmed with the system. And he's a controversial guy as well. He always says stuff that gets him into trouble. So maybe he just said it in a moment of whatever. Or maybe he's really been thinking about this for a while. Because I honestly don't think this is the first time I've heard this. That he has mentioned that he's thinking about stepping away from directing. Yeah. Well, it's been a rumor for a long time. And we've talked a lot about on this podcast about how films are changing and the production and you know, release of them and marketing of them. But yeah, I, I, to me his I think his production, um, delivery is kind of timeless in a way, Mm -hmm. but again, it's still the whole industry is just changing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's his comments could be technically, you know, said to be like, well, this, this is him saying, you know, I, I don't know what to do with about this. And Mm -hmm. I want to just, you know, I think I'm just going to step away, but I think if he does say two films, he's probably going to release three or four. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's hard to because actors and directors have said this before, and it very rarely, if ever, has truly happened. Um, But, yeah, and and I think the way his last movie performed sort of says a lot about that. And I can see his frustration because The Hateful Eight, he he filmed it on 70-millimeter film, and it was really pushed to be this, this cinematic release that you need to go see in the theaters. And it wasn't... Um, the biggest box office hit in the world. Um, I mean, you had to go so far out of your way for, especially for people like us who aren't really close to a theater with the technology to be playing that sort of film reel. Um, and so the way the movie performed wasn't quite up to the, his expectation. And of course, the movie was leaked online, um, which t- probably took quite a bit of money away from it. And that just kind of goes hand in hand with some of the stuff he's against in the industry. Um, so I, I just think he's frustrated with it. I think he even, and, and I shouldn't say, this is just me totally projecting on him. I personally really do feel like The Hate Flight was a big step backwards for him. It wasn't a bad movie. I just felt like he really was just trying to do the same thing he had done before in this big fancy package that didn't add up to a whole lot. And I think maybe even he was maybe a, a, a little overwhelmed by the film. Um, because even even if you like the movie, I think you have to admit that it doesn't necessarily do anything particularly new or interesting for him. Who, who Tarantino has always been known as a director who is very innovative, and he was at the always at the front of pro, of progressing storytelling and styles, and he's really not anymore, and that's probably pretty frustrating for somebody like him. Yeah, well, he's always uh, based himself off of kind of being on the the front end of cinematography and kind of the trends writing that were going on. writing and yeah I, i'm i'm pretty sure this is the basis of that is that he realizes he's kind of past you know people yeah. talk about him in the past tense a lot of times and that probably frustrates him a whole bunch yeah i guess we can sit here and say that but i i think i think maybe he he i mean he's an incredibly talented guy and I, yeah i want to say too then that i i'm not trying to take away from him because i 
I, I love a number of his films. Because I think I think the guy's more than capable of making a movie that blows everybody away again. Oh sure. Um, because I mean, even I, I say the Hateful Eight, I didn't care for that much, but even the movie he made before that, Django Unchained, I loved that. I thought that was great. I think that's a, a, among his best work. But um, and then he turns around and does another another three hour long western, and a lot of it's sort of based on the same. Um, uh, I guess what's the word I'm looking for? The same sort of building blocks that something like Reservoir Dogs was built on, in that it, and Pulp Fiction, of course, where the movie isn't necessarily linear; it's set into chapters, and it's a mystery movie about people in one location and what do they do and who can you trust, who's good, who's bad. There's flashbacks and blah blah blah. It just felt like I had seen it before. I don't know. Yeah. I I just I I feel like he really has better ideas in him and i know one of the rumors that's kicking around is that he wants to do kill bill volume three now this is a rumor that's been going around since the first two kill bill movies came out that he wants to do one about the little girl in the first movie whose mother is killed by the bride and she says to her that if when you grow up if you're feeling sour about what i did to you uh feel free to come after me basically and i think that's uh, a theory that he's gonna maybe end his entire career with that movie and uh because there's also the fan theory that all of his movies take place in the same universe and uh, they're all sort of going to be drawn together in some way and so maybe he has some insane movie up his sleeve that really brings it all together or something so i'm interested to see what he does next next because if you're planning your retirement something like him is going to want to go out with a bang right for sure yeah and i I agree with you i think he's got something And, and on top of that if he is saying this legitimately I think he's going to pull out something just that's just great. Yeah. Because, again, Django Unchained was an excellent film. Mm-hmm. He's produced other excellent films. It, it'll work out. For sure. For sure. <clears throat> so on to our uh, weekly segment, By the Numbers, where yes. we go over the top five grossing films in America. And occasional flops that do occur in modern cinema. Uh-huh. Ethan, what's number five? All right, so number five this week, and it's – what is it? The let me see here. Number five in its second week, okay, is the Purge election year, which made twelve point three million its second week. Um, so that's a total domestic gross of fifty eight point seven million on a ten million dollar budget. Obviously done extraordinary work. Yeah. I, I, I don't know the box office numbers for the first two movies, but I would imagine this has got to be right up there, if not more. Yeah. So done really well. Cool. Cool beans. Number four this week was our movie of the week, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, which grossed a total of $16.6 million uh, in its first week. Obviously, that's its total gross. Mm-hmm. And yeah. A budget of $33 million, it looks like. So. Little ways to climb. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad the budget isn't too big on something like this because it doesn't really... L- I mean, it, there was really nothing spectacular in the movie. I think a lot of that just goes to the actors because all the, the names in here are pretty big names. But I, maybe it underperformed a little bit, but I think they had to have assumed that was going to happen with some of these monster releases that are out right now. But I have a feeling this will make its money back. Maybe not. It might not be in the top five very long, but it'll still do pretty well. So then let's see here. The number three movie then. Finally falling from its number one spot at the top of the tree is Finding Dory, which made $20.8 million this weekend with a total domestic gross of 
million. And I do believe this is now the number one movie of the year in terms of box office. It surpassed Civil War. Wow. Um, as the number one movie of the year. So obviously done really well. It's fallen off of the number one spot, but it's still in the top five. So people are still going in droves to see it. Yeah. It's worth the worth the visit if you haven't already gone and seen yeah, it. Absolutely. And uh, number two this week is The Legend of Tarzan from Warner Brothers. This week it grossed a total of $21 million, just under, or just over, sorry. Um, and it's grossed a total of $81 million, basically $82 million, and a monster budget of $180 million. Flop. Yeah. Flop. It's not doing, it's not, a, it's not a ma- massive flop because I think it's doing pretty well overseas. It's not doing like Warcraft money or anything, but I think it's b- being pretty well rece- uh, received uh, in other countries. So I think it's making its money back. And I'm actually surprised that it didn't drop further. It actually, I think it stayed in the number two spot. Because it was number one last From week. From last week. So it actually, it's very interesting that it dropped uh, less than I, I thought it would. So Well, didn't it, then it would have beaten Finding Dory, which is kind of interesting. It did, yeah, it did it this weekend. It, That's so. very interesting, yeah. Interesting. And so then number one, the new release this week was The Secret Life of Pets, another animated feature film from Universal. Uh, which made a huge $104 million its opening weekend on a $75 million budget. Crazy. Which seems pretty low for an animated movie. But, I mean, this movie's already made its cash back and then some. And I think this, like Finding Dory, is going to stick around for a while. Yeah. So, Secret Life of Pets. I heard it was fun. It looked cute. Who doesn't love pets? Bat. I mean, that's okay if you don't like pets, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not all about that. Maybe you're allergic. Have a fish. Do what you need to do. But that's by the numbers. Interesting. I, pretty interesting week. Yeah, we, I, I don't think we've seen a, a $100 million opening week for a little bit. Oh, oh, but we got some coming up. Oh, we do. That's the thing. All these are going to drop off. Suicide Squad. Yeah, that could do well. Star Trek could easily do 100 plus. Easy. Excuse me. But, uh, yeah, there's a ton of just monster films coming out. Yet. Yeah. It's just never-ending, man. Summer. So what's up? It's crazy. But go see, if you can, The Life of Pets. Heard it's good. Mm-hmm. Finding Dory, again, good. Animals. Mike and Dory. feel like a good comedy. Mike and Dory? Mike and Dory. Did I say that? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Mike funny. and Dave. Mike and Dave. Mike and Dave. Dory. That would be a weird movie. He's just, like, drunk. And she Screaming. can't remember. She can't remember anything. <laughs> And they're just like in a pool. And then he can't remember anything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, terrible. Terrible. All right. When we come back, we're going to do our album of the week and the duo episode, the all-time great duo episode, The White Stripes, their album, Elephant. You'll hear music from that album in the break. Yeah. Weekly Nurse will be right <laughs>
Welcome back into Weekly Dubs up. No. Nate. Ethan. Yeah. Ethan, album of the week. Go. Boom. So this week on our duo-themed episode, we are reviewing the album Elephant from The White Stripes. All right. So a little bit of background information on this album. It was released in 2003, and Elephant is the band's fourth overall album. It was released after their album, White Blood Cells, saw a massive increase in popularity for the group. The album was met upon its release with universal acclaim and would go to uh, go on to be nominated for Best Album of the Year at Grammys and eventually be considered one of the best albums of the entire decade, that being the 2000s. Elephant is seen as one of the biggest rock albums of its time as it encapsulate, uh, encapsulated the garage rock revival movement and propelled it into the mainstream as well as producing the song Seven Nation Army, which has become an anthem that just about everybody, everybody recognizes and is popular at sporting events, certainly, and a little bit of uh, production recording notes on this album. Um, so despite its existence as a high-profile release from the popular band, The White Stripes, Elephant isn't much different from the group's first two, uh, th- I'm sorry, first three albums in terms of its production. No computers or uh, really any digital electronics were used during the recording process, and the newest piece of gear that was used during recording was dated to 1963 sweet the band's relatively lo-fi stripped down sound was achieved using these somewhat antiquated techniques and was recorded in just 14 days so what did you think about elephant by the white stripes (laughs) sorry well this is obviously one of my favorite albums this is a, a wunderbar album as they would say in german but it it kind of goes beyond the whole sense of a album or EP where there's a set of tracks. It takes you on kind of a journey, and and they definitely set that up. Not not a whole lot, whole lot that I dislike, but again, really classic, really solid. If you if you haven't heard this album, you've probably heard somebody chanting the Seven, Seven Nation Army. like oh, 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 oh. yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's it's, it's an instantly recognizable classic uh, a melody classic. But yeah, I mean, I'm I got a disclaim here. I'm a ma- I'm a massive White Stripes fan. Um, they're if I did like a top ten bands of all time, which would maybe be a fun episode to do, um, they would be in my top five, very close to the top. Um, so maybe I'm a little biased in my my review. I thought I would say that before I say anything else because yeah, this I mean this album is it's an incredible rock and roll album straight up. It's yeah, obviously their most popular and most successful album, but it's it's an album that achieved that by being straight up a quality record. I mean, every song on this album is great. All the, I mean, the songwriting is top notch, which is I think the main reason it was it's been it's re, was so well received and remains so popular. But also just so that that's the sound the White Stripes had as a group, which again was just two people, Jack White and Meg White. Uh, it's just so singular and so instantly recognizable is them that when you hear these songs you know what you're listening to and yeah like you said listening to this album front to back it's like the perfectly paced album i mean it's got the highs and the lows in terms of more intense songs and there's certainly lots of ballads on here some with varying uh, degrees of complexity but in general it's a very simple album being just two individuals There's not a ton going on in these songs, but it feels like there's more than there actually is going on just because the songwriting and the recording and the production and the performances, even for Meg White, who whose drumming style is is extremely simple, to say the least. Um, It all just kind of comes together in this perfect storm of a 
just a, a great rock album. Right. And it, on top of that, when you see them perform, and you've seen them live, obviously. I've no, only seen... I saw, I saw Jack... Well, you saw Jack White live. Yep. I saw him friend. solo. I, didn't, I never saw the White Stripes. But their style is so simple. It's mm-hmm. not like they're sitting in this amazingly complex studio with all the cutting-edge technology and stuff. They're just... It's very, very simple. Mm-hmm. And when you take that into account, that only amplifies the greatness of this album. Mm-hmm. Because they they keep the tempo so melodic throughout, and it's almost like I said, it's it's almost like one continuous book of music, not a single like journey, but mm-hmm. just incredible what they did with with literal and, and like a, you know I'm a percussionist ish by by birth. Okay. She she just incredible what she's done with the basics. Yeah, it's just so simple. And if you do a little bit of research on the group, they sort when they formed as a band, they sort of had what they called the rule of three, which is it's sort of, uh, you know, Jack White's label is known as Third Man Records and all this. They had this rule of three where the general idea was that we never want more than like three things going on at once in an album, which I think starting with this album and going on to the, the they had they released two more albums after this that changed a bit. They got more and more complex and now if you listen to Jack White's solo music, that's certainly not the case at all. But the idea for the White Stripes was always just keep it simple. And they liked using old equipment because Jack White has said things like, I like to be challenged by my instruments. Like when I'm playing, whether it be live or in studio, I feel like if I'm combating at my equipment, I have to try harder to get the results I want. So if my guitar is constantly going out of tune because it's old and the equipment we're, we're using is breaking all the time, you have to you have to be on your toes all the time and i think that effort really shines through on this album because while it's definitely it's shockingly lo-fi for as popular as this album is it really does not it's not a crisp perfect recording you can and and i don't think it matters how you listen to it which is kind of an odd thing like i listen to it on my headphones and i listen to it on just my iphone in a room Mm -hmm. and either way Sounds yeah, and I good. have the, I have the vinyl of this, and I, I mean I I have the CD, and I and I listen to it on Apple Music at work a couple times um the last couple of days because uh yeah I mean it's just I mean it's it, the the songs themselves are so good that everything else is just sort of bonus because I do think the songwriting on every song there's not a single for me there's not a single song on here that I think you can take out and improve the album I think everything here is essential every song even though it's got a couple that stand out a song there's sort of this the middle point of the album is a song called um in the cold cold night which is kind of an eerie little song where actually meg white takes the 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 lead vocals which generally jack white is the lead vocalist but it's a really minimalistic song where there's just a a simple guitar riff going and she's singing and it's just it's haunting and it's like the perfect midway point from the album and then from that point it sort of revs up till the end um, and it's kind of moments like that that just make it flow perfectly. You put this thing on, and it's just it's just one song after another. Every song, if you listen to it, will be stuck in your head. It's all the lyrics are great. It, it it of course has all the the lyrical qualities that the White Stripes were known for. But man, it's just I can't express it enough, man. It's just so good front to back. It's just a straight up rock and roll album, and it flows like it. Again, that's really hard to explain, but it just goes from song to song. It's almost like a wave mm-hmm. from song to song. Just incredible, really incredible. Yeah, it's it's and, and what's funny is that this isn't even my personal favorite White Stripes album, but even one that I personally don't put at the top 
which is probably unusual because I think in general this is seen as their best album, which I totally understand. Based um, on popular demand. Right. That's kind of why. Um, it's just, it's so cool to know that a, an album like this that didn't have, I mean, it was recorded with the most basic of techniques by people who just wanted to record these songs that it achieved such 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 success um i think it says a lot and i think it's one it's it's an album that i think it's a bright spot in popular music in the last 10 or 20 years because it really has done something that while it i don't think it was particularly inventive or it wasn't they weren't the white stripes certainly weren't innovating they weren't doing anything new or original outside of bringing music like this to the mainstream maybe and after a period of, of time where music like this wasn't popular but um to know that this style of music can still feel fresh and original despite it being somewhat old school i just think it's just a it's an it's an amazing piece of work when it brought like you said it brought music ahead that's that's very hard to do cuz we've talked we've reviewed a few albums on this show where it's kind of like well they're in a genre they're doing what the genre expects i feel like this took a step ahead mm-hmm. and and people can base music off of this and not right now but maybe 20 years ish down the road you're going to hear this is kind of like a cradle album like i've discussed we've discussed other albums that are like that where the elements that you know the artists at the modern time are doing they're replicating the previous genre and i think that's you hear that just in little bits and pieces too sure and i do think to an extent that's already sort of happened with this because i I think the white stripes influenced a lot of musicians who are popular now um they certainly made blues rock cool to to the place where a band like the black keys could that's what i was just about to say could be as popular as they are and there's actually a little bit of bad blood between the two groups there's always at one point a friendly rivalry but it's sort of turned into a ridiculous who's more famous and cool but uh i mean that the album they were if the white stripes are a fascinating band to read about knowing that this this little garage rock duo became this massive success where this is in for album of the year and it's selling millions and millions of copies it's just an amazing story and 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 all that stuff aside if you put this album on for somebody who's never heard of it they're probably going to like it all and not just the songs that they they may have heard already like seven nation army which most people have heard every other song is great too and, and, and one thing I think uh, they don't get enough credit for are the lyrics. Uh, Jack White's lyrics are very, the, the whole, one of the whole points of the band, The White Stripes, was to sort of embody this, this sort of childlike innocence that they, they felt like a lot of popular rock music w- was moving away from and to kind of keep that alive. And, and as a result, you have a very personal feeling album, but it's relatable because we were all young and children at one point and they, they just embody that but it doesn't feel juvenile or anything right and as far as favorite songs i liked um ball and biscuit mm-hmm. a lot and then uh little acorns mm-hmm. i thought i thought that was one of the best audio intros to a song yeah very unique that's been out there because there's been a lot of groups that have tried that and I, I thought they just mastered it yeah if you haven't heard the song little acorns and just a little aside on that every one of their albums has a song that starts with the word little on it and it's usually kind of an oddball song on the album and little acorns is sort of fits right in because it's got like you said this really bizarre intro where a guy is telling a story and it leads into the song and it's crazy yeah definitely one of my favorites but yeah you said ball and biscuit i mean that's like seven or eight minutes of just guitar solo blues awesome it's epic dude yeah that song you just crank up and jam it's such a great song 
Yeah. But I also, uh, my, my other favorite songs, uh, Black Math, another just great rock and roll song. My favorite ballad on the album is I Want to Be the Boy to Warm Your Mother's Heart, which sort of falls in the middle of the album where there's a series of ballads in a row, but this is sort of my favorite. It's a piano-driven song. It's fantastic. And, piano uh, rock. Yes, and then uh, my, actually I think my favorite song in the whole album is Girl, You Have No Faith in Medicine, which yeah. is near the end of the album, but another just rock and roll, awesome song with great guitar work and just it's just great well and and um you mentioned before about like i want to warm your what is it i want, I to, want to be the yeah. boy who, to warm your mother's heart like the lyrics are so it's almost as if it, i should say it's almost like a sentence yeah. that he's writing mm-hmm. but it's it sounds like a song it's crazy because it's he yeah. says like like at one point um my mother baked a cake for you mm-hmm. and your mother well, right. turns her shoulder and it's just like the whole song is it's it, again it's about that that innocence it's all about him he's got a girlfriend and he wants to he wants to make sure her mom likes him that's what the song is about and she and his mother is a difficult individual um that he's having trouble um re- relating to which for some people you know will be something they um that they uh identify with or whatever but in besides the lyrics the song is just, it's just great it's just a it's just a gorgeous ballad and it's me- it's got a great melody and it's it's memorable it's a it'll get stuck in your head and you can sing along with it certainly yeah just a great song and there's a lot of other songs i think there's 14 songs on the album i think it's 14 songs and uh, and they're all good to, to some extent i think my if i had any down point it has really nothing to do with the album it's just that a couple of the songs have, are maybe a bit overplayed seven nation army it's kind of annoying to hear out of the context of the album yeah and maybe the song the hardest button to button as well which was a single at the time of the album's released um but what, whatever that's has nothing to do with the actual album that's just people's uh, understanding of it and also white stripes for my boat vote have had the greatest music videos in music history go watch the music videos for hardest button to button uh seven nation army song in songs from other albums like um um the denial twist um doorbell man i mean their music videos are just so hilarious and creative and ridiculous you have to see them they're amazing which is how music videos should be yeah yeah but what would you rate this one to ten um you know again i'm maybe a bit biased they are one of my favorite groups i love all their albums um i give it a 10 i think it's a classic I don't think there's really any, for me, there's not a moment where there's nothing but bliss going through my head when I listen to it. Um, and, and I think there may, will maybe be some people who find the, the minimalistic take on it gimmicky and uh, or maybe don't like Jack White because he's a very eccentric individual. But uh, for me, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's as perfect as rock music gets. So I give it a 10. It's a, it's a rare 10 for me. How about you? Nine point seven. Oh god! <laughs> because of the middle, the middle of the album, there's the ballad. Okay. Didn't register, but the rest of the album kind of amplified. Sure. So. Yeah, definitely. There's like a three song stretch where it really slows down. Yeah. And I think the there the one song in here that people may not like is I can't even remember what it's called. No, I I think the song is called uh, you got her I, I got her in my pocket or something where it's really just Jack White with an acoustic guitar singing and that may be very slow for some people but i love that song too i think it's great i think again it captures that innocence and that childlike nature the band was trying to to get to yeah and i think if i listen to this album 
two or three times more, I'd probably get that. Yeah. But just uh, just the middle. Yeah. Sure. But it's a. It, besides that, if you're a music lover, if you're interested in music at all, this is a must hear. I mean, it's an album that is considered an all time great, even though it's it's only 13 years old at this point. Well, I guess that's not the freshest of uh, flowers ever. But uh, it's. I mean, it's a. Uh, it's a. It's it's a classic, and it's not going anywhere. I don't think. No. Not at all. And I think this is it's uh, maybe time, like in terms of like music time, it's going to be in like ten year increments. Sure. Now, but yeah, this is this is very timeless. Right. And the band, the White Stripes, I think in general are a band that will be remembered fondly as one of the best of the time period. They're because from. they're not recording anymore too. That's right. a big. That's a big deal. Yes. On they this, did break this up. Whole thing. In I believe February of two thousand eleven, ten. I remember it was a very difficult day for me when that happened because, <laughs> uh, th- again, these are is one of my favorite bands. I thought it was extremely upsetting. But uh, Jack White's, he's released two solo albums since, and uh, they've both been fantastic. I got to see him a, uh, a couple years ago as well. I was actually the, uh, a couple days after my bachelor party, which we had here at this house, mm-hmm. uh, that I got to see him, and that was an incredible concert. I remember it was super hot. It was like almost 100 degrees. It was an indoor concert in the middle of the summer. It was super hot, but uh, it was a fantastic show. Um, and they and he plays a lot of White Stripes music, so I got to see some of these songs played live. But uh, I mean, just I just love it. Well, and I like that they they broke up. It wasn't like oh we you know in in unrecon- unreconciled differences or whatever they couldn't you know come together. It was just we're at the top of our game. Mm-hmm. This is how we want to be remembered. Which is really cool. That's what they said. There's been some debate about how true that is. But I do think that's, I I think, you know, like we both had mentioned that the band's simplistic, minimalistic take on the music was important. And they had started to get away from that a little bit to the point where maybe Meg White, her drumming style didn't quite fit with the music they were playing as well. So some people think there was maybe a little bit of bad blood between the two. And you have to think there might be because they were married at one point and we're always a band as a divorced couple, which is kind of interesting to think about. But um, yeah, they claim that we were, they, it wasn't any major fight or anything or disagreement. They were like, we're, I mean, we're, we don't think whatever music we write and release together will be as good as the stuff we had already done. So why would we want to keep doing this? Right. And that was it. Yeah. And that's, I think that's commendable. That that's is. really how it went down. In this era. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. To not just milk it to say, well, we'll hey, we're, we were great, and maybe the greatness isn't there anymore. Let's not wait to find out. <laughs> yeah, hammer out a few albums or whatever it is. But, yeah, great album. I'd, I'd say anyone listen to it. Oh, yeah, anybody who likes music. And if, you, if you're if you not into rock and roll, maybe you won't like it. But you got to at least check it out. Yeah, and you've had to have heard Seven Nation Army. Yeah, I find it hard to believe that somebody hasn't at least heard the melody of it. Yeah, there are at least four different major sports groups that have like chance based off of that yeah if if you've ever been to like a major like college football game or nfl game there's a good chance that a chant was started sometime during that game that was yeah. the melody of seven nation army yeah crazy crazy the influence but yeah under our high priority news items blink 182 which i never thought i would mention on this podcast really 
I never thought I would. They released a new album called California, which I was very surprised about. But this is the band's first album since 2001. 2011. It was their first number one album. Oh, t- number one album since 2001. But uh, this is their first for the last four, five-ish years. Yep. Crazy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I, I thought this was kind of fun to talk about just because it's, it's interesting that they – they they knocked Drake out of the number one album spot, uh, who he had been on the number one spot for like two months or something ridiculous like that. And the, these guys come along and release this new album, which I admittedly have not heard, and I really, honestly, don't have too much interest in listening to. But um, it's just kind of a cool success story, I think, because they, I mean, they were obviously an iconic band from the '90s, especially in the or obviously the early 2000s as well. Who have a like the White Stripes, a couple songs that I'm sure most people have heard before. <laughs> They've had lots. Of, you know, I, I mean, to, to me, this is very shocking because it's it's very much like the, the 30 to 35-year-old group kind of mm-hmm. saying like, oh, this is a band we're very interested in. Mm-hmm. And they're also familiar with obviously like the digital download and sure the concept of that. So it's it's very interesting to see them go up to number one i well, I, I had no concept and that's over. strange because yeah they 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 did a quote-unquote comeback album in 2011 that was a modest success so i wonder what it is about this particular album that propelled them to that number one spot that has got them sort of in the limelight again and i see a lot of people talking about them again well and i know this is a success point but when i listened to blink 182 like when i was a kid it was on ripped cds sure so it was like the you know stolen stolen music back then through napster but (laughs) i think that's part of it too is that it's so easily accessible you don't have to go buy a cd or purchase it on apple music you just just the accessibility of it i think Mm -hmm. that might tie into it yeah definitely because yeah now streams can count towards um a, a record sale to the way they have that business model set up but i just thought it was kind of cool because i i mean to see a band like this just kind of come out of nowhere and release a new song because i remember it was just a couple weeks ago it was like blink 182 has a new song and i'm like well that's cool good for them and then i see they're at the number one spot and their album is selling hundreds of thousands of copies and their song is being played everywhere what's going on that's crazy (laughs) it's pretty cool i can't i can't believe it either Blink 182. 182. Son. No. Just kidding. And uh, the other one was at the Marvin, uh, new Marvin Gaye documentary. Marvin, What's Going On is to be released. Uh, it's the first, first authorized movie about the legendary singer ever to be released. And will reportedly focus on uh, his recording his most famous album, What's Going On, which was his kind of only. I think he's had more. I'm not super familiar with Marvin Gaye. I do like that album a lot. And I just thought it was kind of interesting here that um, there had never been. And, and I guess after I read this, I pondered it and I realized it was true. There was never really been a major documentary made about this guy who, if you know anything about Marvin Gaye, he was an, he was a, he's a legendary soul R&B singer yeah. um, who, had, who had a lot of songs who, again, I'm sure a lot of you have heard. But um, it's cool that he's never. There's never been a documentary about him before, an official one at least. Um, So I think that's pretty cool. I think it it was just kind of fun to get the word on it because I'll definitely be watching it. He's a figure who's who had a very fascinating life and a a a stunningly tragic death. I mean, it was a very strange um, scenario, 
what happened. And I, I don't think this documentary will cover that, but uh, the album What's Going On is, yeah, it's a classic. It's one of the, considered one of the best from the, the late 60s. Um, so it'll be fun to, to keep our eyes on on this, I think. And maybe it's one that'll pop its way onto Netflix or something. And I think it would be a great place for a documentary like this to, to get a lot of exposure. Because last year we saw the documentary about Nina Simone um, really become quite popular because of Netflix. And I feel like uh, that that would be the perfect place for this as well. Because I'm interested in seeing it for sure. Yeah, And all those like the kind of funk singer-ish R&B folks... Yeah, they, it was an interesting time uh-huh. to be who they were. So yeah. he was he was a very important uh, figure for uh, a lot of different reasons in the time, being it being race relations, uh, you know, the hippie, the free love movement. A lot of his music was a big part of that. And I don't think when you hear a name like Janis Joplin, Jerry Garcia, blah blah blah, Bob Dylan, you you a lot of people, if you're familiar with that time era, really know how big those people were for that movement. But he's a guy who I think you hear the name and you know who he is because everybody knows the song uh, "Let's Get It On." Yeah, I mean everybody knows that song, but I don't think his relationship to that whole movement is as well known. And I'm hoping that this maybe uh, uh, changes that a little. Yeah. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? What a great song! It's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you obsessed about? Uh, well, I'm copying myself from last week. Dead and Company, Grateful Dead. Because uh, the show was incredible. We had spoken briefly about it uh, before we started recording today. But, uh, man, it was just an epic weekend of camping. And the weather was perfect. And we saw them again both nights. One night. And then again the next night. It was an uh, incredible experience seeing some legendary musicians play some of my favorite music ever. And I'm still, quite honestly, still processing it. Because it was such a, a kind of an epic undergoing. <laughs> but uh, just fantastic. So I'm it's just uh it's it's etched into my skull right now (laughs) so what about you well for me and it's a really weird one i found out today was national french friday and i always have the best obsessions i can't i can't eat french fries why well because i'm doing this whole like diet thing and getting in shape and all that biz but that's just just crazy the shit that people are doing now with french fries like covering like, honestly because i feel like nowadays you can't just eat a french fry you've got to cover it in sauce cheese. and bacon and cheese and it's like <laughs> let's get back to basics but hey man you can get you can get yourself a normal fry is it like a carb thing is that why you can't eat them well uh potatoes carbs right so legumes as they're known they can't eat can't eat those so does okay it's cool. just it's a it's a very is it working thing. yeah there you go yeah about that's all that matters 20 pounds in total Ugh, gain some weight over gain there gain some weight bra but no national but it was crazy seeing the reaction to it and national it seem, french fry it day. seems like every day is like a weird a holiday something. it's a something like i feel like if i check what's uh trending on twitter it's today's national hug day today's national towel day and then just just a few days ago i think it was like national flag day and this and that and this day and that day and it's yeah out of control, man. Out of control, brah. <laughs> National French Friday. Ugh, that sounds yeah. good, but I'm not going to eat that. The top five, though, are pretty interesting. Whoa, top five of what? Like types of, French of fries? fries they voted on it. Let's hear it. It was number five was Wendy's. Oh. With their natural cut fries. Mm. Number four was McDonald's. Ugh, those are the worst. Those are classic. I don't care. Those are classic. Tastes like my foot. 
Number three, of course, it's got to be the Arby's curly cut fry. Oh, dude, that's number one. I think that's the king of fry to yeah, me. Let's be real. Me when personally. they ask you at Arby's, do you want curly? or It's like, let's be real. Stop asking that. Don't no, even ask that question. Nobody wants anything but the curly fries. Next time somebody asks me at the drive-thru, I'm going to be like, stay the fuck out of my house. I want some <laughs> Are you kidding fries. me right now? Give me curly fries, you fool. <laughs> it's got to be the curly fries. Number two is Chick-fil-A with the waffle fry. Okay. That's the only type of fry they serve. Chick-fil-A, political agendas aside, great food, great fries. What were they doing political? It's some, you know, Trump-type deal. Like I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's food. For or against Trump? I don't. I don't. For. But I'm not going to connect food with that Donald, Donald Trump. Pol- pol- politics and all that. Number one was the In-N-Out Burgers uh, classic fry. But if you get it animal style, it's French fries, secret sauce, onions, and cheese. I hmm. think it's California only. I don't know. In an out burger. In an out burger, but it's uh, it's in more places than California, but it's definitely not around us. The king, yeah, king of everything. It makes me want to watch a Big Lebowski. Yeah, because it's uh, they got good burgers there, dude. That was number one. That's cool. I think McDonald's is a bit high on that. I think the Arby's. <laughs> I'd 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 McDonald's put that are up just there. little burnt shit that's all it is it's nah. shit part arby's my... curly fries come on you come said on. it yourself show show them some love let's be real here let's be real let's be real we had curly fries together we did oh yeah, yeah. that was on the way down to a uh a bacon and beer fest the yeah. new Glarus. yeah dude you stole remember i was like you asked me if you could have a fry i was like sure and you pulled the giant the biggest clump of curly fries out of my my thing of fries, you jerk. In my defense, I was driving, so I couldn't see. Bullshit. I, just, I grabbed. You could have been like, oh, this bunch of fries is too big. Inanimate object. But instead, you were like, oh, no. Well, yeah, once I got it, it's kind of like picking gold, man. Once you get that nugget. You're joking you're like, me? You took, you took my biggest nugget of gold. You crushed my day. You were a landmine, man. You didn't have feelings at that point. <laughs> I was stone sober. <laughs> Don't. Do this. <laughs> Show the curly fries some love, though. Number three. I think that's got to be. I don't know about waffle fries are okay. Yeah, but those other ones are like places that you can't get everywhere. If we're talk- well, and on top of that, I have to say the the curly fry is seasoned. Oh, yeah. See, that's. The seasoning is what's up. Just regular old salt on a, on a waffle fry. Get out of town. Yeah, what kind of baloney is that? I mean, do they do anything crazy with their waffle fries? No, it's just fried. Mm, malarkey. Malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> uh but that's the number national friday hmm. i didn't have french fries today i'm did not you, going to did you have french fries no i'm going to the gym after we record i'm not gonna eat any french fry oh man i know i'm gonna go sit on a elliptical and be like oh, oh, oh i wish fries. i had french fries and it's <laughs> ad comes up on the tv national <laughs> that's french what happens friday. i'll be like on the on a bike or something and then i look and there's like a skinny girl in a bikini eating a Wendy's burger, and I'm like, that doesn't happen. That's what their whole. I, I watched. I we studied that when I was in school about marketing, and how like that's their whole marketing ploy is like, let's Fine. let's get supermodels to eat these horrid burgers because that's <laughs> people are into that. I mean, it's shocking. Yeah, it's that's, shocking. And that's the thing is, you have a reaction to it. 
but I instantly want a burger every time I see it. Let's say like you didn't know who I was, and we didn't do a podcast. You never, you'd never seen me before, okay. and it was just me eating a burger. You'd have no reaction to it. But if, I'd be like, "Look, it's an Italian person eating." And I'd have a in one hand, I'd have a burger, and the other hand, I'd have like a, a twirled spoon of spaghetti with a meatball at the end of That's it. Amazing. But <laughs> no, <laughs> but. The thing is, is that it it doesn't create any reaction. But no. you get it once you get that supermodel eating in a the ham. Yeah, eating the there monster was one burger. my favorite one. It was like a group of like ten very you know athletic looking females playing volleyball, and they were like, "We gotta take a break." Then they run off of the beach, and they're just eating Wendy's burgers. <laughs> That's never happened in the history of humans, because as soon as they start playing volleyball again, I mean, they're gonna be chuffing Wendy's. Yeah, they're gonna be like. Bleh. <laughs> gross no unrealistic but hey every time i see one of those i'm like i can go for a square burger i want a thick burger what's up that's hardy's not wendy's carl's jr excuse me get your burgers (laughs) together son if you want yourself a square burger you go to wendy's if you want yourself a thick burger you get your butt over to hardy's and be like hey i want me a thick burger mushroom swiss i wonder who caught who calls himself like the D's, like oh, I'm gonna go get some D's, like because it could like be Wendy's McDonald's? or Hardee's or McDonald's. Like McDonald's Mickey D's? is McDonald's. Mickey D's forever. is what I've always heard. McDonald's. Mickey I was, D. First, forever, I've called it McDonald's. Give me some of that Mickey D. McDonald's, fifty-nine cent cones. Cheer. <laughs> oh God, it's so bad. <laughs> but no, anyhow, good episode. Yeah. Duo. Yep. Duo. Amazing album. Ugh. So good comedy. Good. So good. All good. Yeah, Mike, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. They, they eat. There's a scene where the two girls are eating burgers in this movie. Remember? They yeah. like get room service and they're like, oh, burgers were a good idea. And I'm like, you've never eaten a burger in your life. Yeah, and, and you look at it, it's got like two bites out of it. Yeah. It's like, that's not happening. Ah, <laughs> uh, um, movies, movie life. Hash, Anyhow. Hashtag movie life. Duo episode next week. What comes out? Is it is that the Ghostbusters? Probably Ghostbusters. We'll see what's going on. I know Suicide Squad is just around the corner, as is Star Trek Beyond. Both movies I am dying to see. So, two films. Yeah. Dos. No, but we'll we'll be reviewing more of those. Mm. Mm. All right, it's been the duo episode. I'm Nate. I'm Ethan. And this has been the duo episode this week in Rosas. Everyone, please. McDonald's. <laughs> Go to McDonald's and then take care. Go to Arby's and get yourself some sea fries. <laughs> then go get some square burgers. All right. No, please take care. Don't eat any of those foods. <laughs>